resurrecting, but we're not going to do that now. We will, uh, Colin, we would love to have you come up and bring the Word of God to us this morning. Um, just in case you might not know, uh, Colin Studley has been part of this walk with us uh, in establishing the church. He came up quite early in the piece and we gathered in the Irvine house and we had a really amazing conversation uh, with Colin who guided us and led us and gave us some good inspiration along the way. So th thank you so much and thank you for being here today with us. Thank you very much. I hope my microphone is working. Great. I bring you greetings from your family. Well, the rest of your family that's scattered all over the state of Queensland. From brothers and sisters as far north as Cooktown and to those who still claim to be Queenslanders but are about 16 feet from the border with those people that wear blue jumpers and barracks for other teams. Cool and gather. And as far west as you can go, short of about one or two hours in a, in a car from the uh, Northern Territory border, in a little town that you may have been to called Bulia. The last few years, we've seen new churches begin here at Yungabara, in Townsville at the Shalom School, um, in uh, Barcaldon, in Winton, the replanting of Thierry, um, new opportunities in Yapoon, areas like Forest Glen and Aura on the Sunshine Coast, opportunities at Ripley, opportunities in places like Maudsland on the interland of the Gold Coast. You have a wide family that you belong to and I bring you their greetings and congratulations to Jeff and the team. I'm so grateful for the instincts that God has given you. And uh, I'm excited to be here at this time and to, to hear the testimonies, to hear the story. Uh, this has been a really great morning. And of course, it gets better because what's about to happen, of course, is lunch. And we all know how good that is. I'm just grateful there's no onion. I always find it's a terrible thing when you're asked to preach and they're cooking onion out the back. I, I just think that's totally unfair. But anyway... Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, a little reading, and then a quick reflection and some activation. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and in the sea and all that is in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to and continued to speak the word of God with boldness and we pray the Lord will bless his word to us this morning. I don't intend to speak for a long time because well there's a couple of reasons but one of the one of the most important reasons is the good stuff has already been said. I just want to put a little icing on the cake. Hopefully, you'll like the taste of it. And uh, we, we will share this. Um, and, and I want to do some activation because um, right now, given the way the society is moving, culture is changing quickly. We are post-Christian in our morals now. I'm sure you've noticed that. We are pre-Christian in our understanding of Jesus. Most of our fellow countrymen know little or nothing about Jesus. They may think they know a bit about religion and they may think they know a little bit about church, the institution I mean, but they know little to nothing about Jesus. And so our task as we plant new churches is to create an environment where we can love our community and bring the story of Jesus to them again and again. And here we've got a really interesting story about people who love Jesus. There's a man, they're going to, they're going to prayer. So you know the, the, the three o'clock prayer meeting? You may not have a three o'clock prayer meeting. Please forgive me, Jeff. I'm a wanderer. Um, always have been. It's hard. I just find standing behind one of those intimidating and awful. Sorry? Tie a rope, you may have to do that. They were going to prayer at the temple and uh, they were just doing what they had done every day. Three o'clock was the prayer meeting at the temple and they would go in, mostly they would go in through a gate that was called the Beautiful Gate. It was on the, uh, the eastern side of the temple. It was a beautiful gate. It was an ornate gate. But the interesting thing is, they would go in there and they would always pass, as they were going in, they would always go past people that were begging. It was common. Begging was a common thing culturally. We may know, we may know it a little bit. If you go to the big cities, you see it more than you do in the country. But when, you know, so we are seeing a little bit of it now, but it was very common. And people, because there was no government support for people who were not well or didn't have jobs. Uh, it, it was the way they they lived and family members would bring them and plant them at the gates or, or plant them along the way and uh, they would beg all day and they would hopefully have something to take home so that they could uh, buy food. And the interesting thing is this day they decided, Peter and John are going to the prayer meeting at three o'clock and they go past a man that I'm pretty sure they would have seen before. They go past a man who was um, unable to walk. He had no use of his legs. And you know the story, right? Because if you've been in Sunday school, and like my brother John and I, we were both teenagers in the 70s, we remember quirky little choruses that some of the young people in this um, you know, church today would be going, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I was born now and not then because I would have hated having to sing that. You remember, those of you who can kind of call it up in your memory, kind of say it with me, um, silver and gold have I none, 
but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, because you've got to do it like that, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God and so on. Now, you know the chorus really well. There was always a guy in my Sunday school, I forget his name now, but I remember him because he would literally walk and leap. I mean, not just, you know, or not just like a Baptist does, only on the inside, but generally just got right into it and, and, and left. I always remember that. He went walking, he went leaping. Now, this is a great story. We don't know how many times Peter and John went past that same place and saw that same man, and why didn't they preach and heal all of them? We don't know. But they did, they did something that this young, this man would remember the rest of his life. And he would, he was going along with them and he was praising God. Right? Now they don't just kind of say it, you know, mumble it. They were yelling it. He was yelling it at the top of his voice. And so now going to the prayer meeting is a little bit more, isn't it? There's a crowd gathering. And the story goes, as, as this uh, three o'clock service is coming up and uh, the prayers are about to begin and the priest is about to say the prayers and everyone is to, to join in, now there's a crowd gathering wanting to know why this man is walking and leaping and making such a god-awful noise in church. Now, I remember as a young pastor, I had a, a, an older lady who said, when all the kids up the back started making the noise. I was so grateful to hear what you had to say about that. She said, Pastor, why don't you shut those god-awful people up? I just didn't know what to make of that. But anyway, uh, we told them, the children, to make more noise. Uh, we, we figured that would help her. Uh, and I think it did, because she went deaf after that and uh, didn't hear a thing. Um, I always hoped that... Um, you know, there's this noise would have gathered a group of people wanting to know why. And the story went that he preached to them. Peter preached to them. He announced right there in the temple that Jesus was risen from the dead and that he it was he was making it possible for people to be reconciled to God. And you can see the, the sermon there. It's written in, in the chapter before. Now, of course... I don't think Peter and John woke up that day thinking, oh, let's go get into trouble today and uh, let's get arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin. But that's exactly what happened. And they took the message that day into the temple. They preached that word and many people were, were listening carefully about what they had seen and heard and would, were amazed at. And here, here in this place, this holy place, where they, where for generations men and women had prayed, there was this announcement about Jesus, that he was the Christ, that he was the one they were looking for, and that by his name and his power, this man had been made well. It was a great story, and it had gone awesome, awesomely well. And They'd had 3,000 plus on the other time they'd preached. I think Peter might have thought, hey, I'm going to try the old 3,000, get saved trick again, so I'll preach that message again, and we'll see 3,000. No, he just got arrested just proves to me that sometimes you, you hit, hit the, the home run with a sermon and sometimes you don't. 
and they got arrested. And they went before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin questioned them. He said, why would you be saying these things? And, and so he, he, Peter talked with them and, and, and showed them. He actually quoted scripture to them, which probably caused a few problems for some of them. How is this uneducated man telling us what the scriptures say? And, and so it, it, there's an awful lot happening. And, and one of the things that we begin to see is that the people, the apostles, knew in their hearts that God was with them and working ahead of them. And often they would do one thing and that would lead to another, which would lead to another, which would lead to another. And here it was that they were before the Sanhedrin. They were threatened. Um, they were told not to preach. It, it was a very, a, a very unusual time. But Jesus had warned them, so they weren't unafraid of it. And then they go home and they begin uh, with their friends to praise God. And there are three quick lessons that we can learn from the way they pray. And I want you to have a look at it with me if you have your Bibles or your phones. Um, and, and just really three quick things. The first thing is in Acts 4.28, which actually reveals that God is for them, they understood him to be sovereign. That all things would work together for according to his plan, to his idea. All the training and expertise and gifts and skills, they're all wonderful, but ultimately it's God who is sovereign. And the, the, um, the, 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 the truth in their hearts was, that no matter what would happen to them, God was sovereign. No matter what would happen, God was sovereign. Do you understand then why the apostles had no difficulty with understanding that being arrested, that was part of it. They were, God was sovereign. No matter what happened, we we had songs which referred to this. Whatever happens, God is sovereign. He sovereignly brought this church into being. That was his plan. That was his intention. He's sovereign. Good or bad, good or ill, God is sovereign. And so the confidence of this um, is really a valuable thing because, you see, when we enter into church planting, we're, ch we're attempting to do something which is jolly difficult and it's getting harder in the culture. It used to be that you could start a church and just open up and start a meeting and people would come because they'd been to Sunday school or they'd been to RI or they came from a Christian family or they had a praying grandmother. And it was usually one step. Sometimes they would come in that door and make their decision for Christ the same day. It's much harder now. Sometimes an Aussie will need seven or eight or nine times of meeting someone who knows Jesus and hearing about Jesus and seeing Jesus in a life and then say, I want to, I want to live like that. I want to live with that amount of freedom. I want to know that. And it looks like I'm going to have to know Jesus because he's the key for them. It's not straightforward now. Our culture is post-Christian and pre-Christian at the same time. This is one of the toughest things to do. Church planting is almost an extreme sport. It's not easy. But when you attempt to do anything for God, you need to be absolutely sure that he's sovereign. He's in control. 
Why do the nations rage, they said. Why why would they bother against the Lord's anointed? Don't they realise God is sovereign? We have governments that make laws, but God is sovereign. We've got people who oppose the work of Jesus, but God is sovereign. We've got people whose hearts are hard and resistant to the gospel, but God is sovereign. And so this is what makes it possible for us as the people of God. We, we don't have within ourselves it, the power to move hearts, but God is sovereign. And this was what the apostles knew. They knew he was sovereign. And that leads me to the second point. That's why they were willing to take risks. And you can look at that in the next verse. People began to see, the people of God began to see that it was risky. You could get yourself killed, literally killed, and they were. Men and women lost their lives. Indeed, I was reading the Open Doors the other day, the advisory that comes through my email. Even now there are men and women, boys and girls, who are losing their life because they name the name of Christ. It's not straightforward. But the greater your confidence about God's sovereignty, the more likely you are to take a risk. If you're not sure that God is sovereign, if your God is the God that's supposed to guarantee your happiness, then you will not take risk. But when God is sovereign, the apostles knew in their hearts they could take a risk. It would be okay. In the end, God would have his way. And so this group of people were attempting to say, God is sovereign, so we're going to do whatever it takes. And that's why they said to the Sanhedrin, you can order us around all you like, but ultimately we have to do what God says. And they chose to be obedient to God. Missionaries have been doing it for centuries. And now, brothers and sisters, we have to do it in Australia. We are not in Christendom in Australia anymore. It's going to become illegal to be a Christian in certain contexts. There are even laws now in the state of Victoria which will ban evangelism if they're interpreted a certain way. Oh, this is not straightforward now. We're going to have to be confident that God is good and he's sovereign. We're going to have to be real confident about it. And yet I sense in what I hear Jeff say, and I had the opportunity to sit with him yesterday and listen to his heart, here's a man who is absolutely confident God is sovereign. He's prepared to take the risk. It's an interesting thing. The greater your confidence about the sovereignty of God, the more likely you are to take a risk. If you are sure that God is good and he's in control, then anything can happen. And that's a good thing. Even listening to our member of parliament talk about, there's a lot of things going out there, but God is good. God, this is what's important. Couldn't have said it better, my friend. God bless you. This is not a straightforward thing now to plant a church. And yet over the last 12 months, God has been incredibly good. God has been incredibly good. And I, like Jeff, I honour the Atherton Church because only the brave, confident churches that know God is sovereign and good will attempt something like that. Not every church will do that. A growing number amongst our movement will, but not every church does that. They're not as confident as uh, the Atherton Church is. So, John, 
uh, to you and your elders and deacons or members. And I'm just so grateful to people like you. You are amazing. You are amazing. And in this day, we will need to be sure of the sovereignty of God. We will need to be sure of it because that will help us take the risks we're going to need to take. And here's the third thing um, in terms of uh, just our, our understanding from the Scripture. This wonderful assurance, this willingness to take the risk. And here it is in verse 31. It's a beautiful thought. God is sovereign. That's helping me to take a risk. And then he is with me. Right in those moments, he is with me. There's a a wonderful, it's a wonderful scripture. Just pause with me again to, to read it. Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Yes, God was sovereign. It helped them take their risk. And when they prayed, they found to their great joy that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and helped them to be bold. We're not all bold. There are some people in this room that are really bold. They'll say anything to anyone at any time. But there's not many of us. I don't think there's many in Baptist circles that will say anything to anyone at any time, who will take the gospel to anyone, who will cold sell it at a bus stop almost. I know a few Pentecostal friends who are brazen. Oh, they are so brazen. They will tell anyone about Jesus and they will absolutely nail them, you know, with their presentation about Jesus. But here's the wonderful thought. God was sovereign. They recognized there would be risk-taking and then they found that in those moments of risk-taking, the Holy Spirit was present, helping them to do what they had to do. Now, let me just show you the kind of culture I think we have to build into our churches in order to make us bold. And we're praying for each other. So I'm going to experiment with my my brother Jeff. And then, Adrienne, where are you? Adrienne, where are you? Ah, I'm going to experiment with you, dear, if you don't mind. I know you don't love me as much as perhaps you should because you don't know me. But, you know, I'm only here today, so humor me, all right? This is Jeff. You know Jeff, right? So, Jeff, is there anyone, just a first name, is there anyone here in the ministry around Youngerborough that you you are looking and praying for and wanting to have have one of those important appointments with? You can't give me just one. Well, that's, I guess, typical, right? Okay, well, just humor me. I'm in town till just, you know, about one o'clock. So, you know, you don't have to face it after that. Joe, all right. Here's the kind of culture we need to develop in our churches, particularly in our new churches. We should be praying with this. Please stand up. We should be praying with our brother like this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that Jeff will have a divine appointment with Joe. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on Jeff so that he will know just exactly what has to be said and what has to be done to make sure that Joe knows that Jesus loves him 
And we pray that you will create those divine appointments with Joe right now, this week, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, what's going to happen next week? Somebody should ask Jeff, how did you go with Joe? That's what we're hoping for. Adrienne, come on up here. So we'll do it here. So I'll come halfway to you, all right? <clears throat> now, you, you work, you live and work at this school, right? So that's pretty extraordinary. God bless you for that. Um, so can you think of the name of someone that you know, maybe another staff member, um, but there's someone that you know in this village, in this town, that you would love a divine appointment with? Right. Wow. Look out, Joe. Yeah. Is there another one? Charlie. All right. So let's do this again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our friend Adrienne. We pray that you will fill her with the Holy Spirit and create a divine appointment with Charlie. We pray that this opportunity will come very quickly, even this week, Lord, we pray. Create the opportunity for my friend and grant of the Holy Spirit a very powerful message, an anointed time with Charlie in that appointment. We pray together in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. All right, so the idea then is in the culture of our church, we create that expectation and we are looking for those opportunities and praying, Lord, grant them an opportunity, grant them a divine appointment because you see that they didn't see it coming but that, that man who could not walk was a divine appointment that God had ordained. And they walked right into it and saw so many good things come. Now, really quickly, two other volunteers. I Just, just give me a wave of your hand. And um, Okay, come on up here. Do you know this young woman? They don't know you. They do. What's your first name? Judy. Judy. Judy, can you give me the first name of the person that's on your heart? Daryl. Daryl. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, O oh God, that there will be an anointing of the Holy Spirit on my friend that will help her in that appointment with Daryl. We pray for that appointment. We pray that you will ordain it. We pray that you will, you will appoint it and that, that uh, Judy will have the right words and that there will be a divine appointment of great power and authority in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So now what we've got to do is we've got to check in with Judy. See, if she says, oh, it went really well, but now I'm wanting it, I'm wanting to take it up, have a follow-up appointment, well, then we should be praying. Does it, you get the idea? All right? One other person. One other person. You just shift your hand up like that. <clears throat> oh, come on, don't be bashful. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Come on out here, man. What's your name? David. Good to meet you, mate. So what's the name of the person? Peter. Peter. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for David. We pray that you will fill him with the Holy Spirit. We pray that he will have a divine appointment with Peter, that you will open a door, that you will sovereignly open a door. We thank you, Lord, and pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon David for this appointment. And we ask it together in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you, brother. You can. I've had a headache the whole time. You've had a headache? The whole person, as soon as you started praying for Jeff and all the others, my headache. Oh, hallelujah. 
I'm, listening to a sermon is hard enough without a headache, right? Hard enough without the smell of onions being cooked. Here we go. Just, I'm going to finish now, right? Time to finish. Here's, here's the, how we pitch it. If Yangabara is to continue, it needs to have within itself a confidence that God has ordained it to win men and women to Christ. That is, it's not just your, your business to be here and hope that people come. It is your business to say God is sovereign. It is His will that none should perish and that all should come to life. Hallelujah. And so we have this confidence about the sovereignty of God. And if we're going to be anything for this, this little village here, this town here, we need to be confident about that. That means there's divine appointments out there. Do you know that there's one in three people in Australia have a memory of faith? That means that in the village here there's probably 300 people who are not in church but have a memory of faith. That means they are already inclined towards the Lord Jesus. That gives you a great leg up. And so I pray that the Lord will bless you and help you with this. Let me pray for you. I'm just going to pray for you now. No need to close your eyes, bow your heads. It's not a religious thing. I'm just going to talk to the Lord, right? So, Father, these wonderful people, they love this place. I've, I've, I've seen that and I'm grateful. And so, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon them and give them all they need for the task of winning men and women, boys and girls to know Jesus. That's my prayer for them. May the grace of the Lord Jesus himself be with you all.